Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all here. Hello to those who are also watching online. Glad we can all be together in this way. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is preparing his original disciples for life in the world without his ongoing physical presence. He's preparing them for what is for us an everyday reality. All we have ever known in this world is life after Jesus's ascension into heaven. And so his farewell message to his disciples, which he both tells them how they can survive but also thrive, is just as relevant to us today as it was to them back then. We've already seen how a big idea in his farewell message is he is assuring them and us that we will not be left alone. He will be with us through the Holy Spirit who comes to live within and walk alongside us. And last week we also saw how he lays out what is to be our number one priority while he's away. And that is abiding in him and his love by loving one another as he has loved us. And it's this self-giving, sacrificial, other-oriented, lay-down-your-life-for-your-friend's love that ensures we produce fruit that both glorifies God and identifies us as true disciples of Christ. And today, we're going to unpack another big idea from his farewell message, that his departure works to our advantage and is for our benefit. It's actually a good thing that Jesus leaves. Before we consider the advantages of Jesus leaving, let's first do a thought experiment and imagine what might have happened had Jesus stayed. Have you ever thought about how the ongoing physical presence of the risen Lord on the earth would have complicated an already complex world? Where would the risen Christ set up his headquarters on earth? Jerusalem? Rome? Abilene? Let's go with Jerusalem. And if Jesus had set up his headquarters in Jerusalem, you were one of his original disciples, how would that have altered the trajectory of your life? Would you have been more or less likely to want to leave Jerusalem if that's where the risen Christ was? 
As it was, it took an outbreak of persecution to scatter the original disciples out of Jerusalem into the world after Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Their inclination already was to stay in and around Jerusalem where they could enjoy this new way of life that God was birthing among them. How much more so if the risen Christ had set up Jerusalem as his home base? And can you imagine how many people would flock to Jerusalem every day to see and touch and talk to the risen Lord? How large would those crowds be asking the risen Lord to solve their problems, resolve their conflicts, heal what is broken in their lives? The traffic in Jerusalem would be a nightmare. And as much as Jesus' disciples will want him to stay with him, as much as they'll try to cling to him after his resurrection, he knows it is for their benefit and for the benefit of the whole world that he leaves. He says so in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, why Jesus has to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come is above my pay grade. I don't understand the mechanics of how or why that works the way it does. But the practical implications of this metaphysical mystery are easy enough to see. Because when the Word of God, the Logos of God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, God took on the limitations of space and time. So that Jesus of Nazareth was located on the earth in a particular place at a particular time, couldn't be in two places at the same time, his ministry was limited to a fairly small geographical location in and around Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee. Very few people had direct access to him. He couldn't always get to everyone who needed him, and everyone who needed him couldn't always get to him. And yet, after he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes through the presence and the power of the Spirit, the risen Christ is available and accessible to all people everywhere. It's like what Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4, when they were visiting at the well, and she asks him a theological question, okay, which mountain is the right mountain from which to worship God? And Jesus says, look, there's a time coming when people are not going to go to a specific place, a mountain, a temple, a building to worship God. But rather, because God is spirit, God is going to be accessible by all worshipers everywhere. It's when Jesus leaves and the spirit comes that the spirit of truth opens our eyes to see that all of creation is an appropriate place from which to worship God. The whole earth, all of it, is a temple. And to this end, the Holy Spirit 
accompanies and empowers Jesus' disciples on their mission to awaken worshipers to this truth all over the world. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 16, verse 8, when he, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. That's the ultimate sin in the Gospel of John. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Just as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, that you must be born from above, born by the power of the Spirit. Here he tells his disciples, it is the Holy Spirit at work in the world. It is the work of the Spirit to convict the world of the sin of unbelief. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth to the world about the gospel. It is not our job to change hearts and minds. It is not our job to convict others of their sin. It is not our job to convince and persuade others the truth of the gospel. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And it is to our advantage that Jesus leave and the Holy Spirit comes to empower our mission and ministry by validating the gospel in the hearts and minds of all those who hear and receive it. We speak the truth. We live the truth. And the Spirit does the rest. The Spirit validates the truth. And we see this advantage working itself out in the ministry and mission of the original disciples when the Spirit makes Jesus' disciples far more effective and productive in Jesus' absence than when they were with him. It's one of the stunning turnarounds in history. The mumbling, stumbling, fumbling, bumbling disciples described in the Gospels go on to lead a global movement from the houses of Jerusalem to the halls of power in Rome to the ends of the earth while creating and shaping the core values of Western civilization along the way. And it happens because Jesus leaves. And the Holy Spirit comes. It's a gospel version of the Ewing theory. The Ewing theory was popularized years ago by sports writer and podcaster Bill Simmons. The Ewing theory holds that sometimes teams play better when they lose their superstar, as the New York Knicks often did when Patrick Ewing was injured or on the bench in foul trouble. They got better when he was out of the game. Other examples of the Ewing theory are when the University of Tennessee won the national championship the year after superstar quarterback Peyton Manning moved on to the NFL. Another more recent example is when the Washington Nationals won the World Series after losing Bryce Harper, their superstar, to free agency. And one of the explanations for the Ewing theory is that when the superstar is in the game and on the team, everyone else steps back 
and allows the superstar to do all the hard work, the important work. They rely on the gifts, talents, strengths, abilities, and experience of the superstar. But then when the superstar leaves the game or the team, everyone else must step up and take responsibility and pull together as a group. And sometimes the team functions better without the superstar in the game. Now, could Jesus be espousing an ancient version of the Ewing theory when he says in John 4, you think I'm kidding, but I've got Bible on this one. When he says in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, because I'm leaving you will be able to do even greater things. Now, what does he mean by greater things? If, if by greater things, he means that his original disciples, including us as well, that we could perform miraculous signs like he did, turning water into wine or feeding thousands of people with a few bits of bread or raising someone from the dead, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of that. Not sure how possible that is. But if by greater, he means taking the gospel to the nations in a way that forever changes the shape and history of the world, then you can certainly make the case that the scope of Jesus's original disciples' global ministry is greater than his local ministry in Judea and Galilee when he walked the earth. When Jesus leaves, he's not abandoning his disciples. He's giving them the opportunity to step up and put into practice all that they've learned from him with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Throughout his ministry, it was Jesus doing all of the important work. But now he steps back and says, you do it. You have the Spirit, now you keep going. You carry it into the world. By leaving, Jesus makes room for them to grow up, and learn how to be Christ-like disciples. They will, without Jesus, he will not be there to protect them from opposition. He will not be there to provide definitive answers to every one of their questions. Not that he always provided definitive answers to their questions when he was with them. He will not be there to solve their problems or resolve their conflicts. They will have to learn, without Jesus, they will have to learn how to listen to and trust the Holy Spirit when they're not sure what to do next. They will have to learn from their mistakes and failures and exercise wisdom to solve problems and overcome obstacles. Without Jesus, they will have to learn to speak and live the truth and then trust the Spirit to do the convicting 
and the convincing. And they learn to do all of this and so much more. Because Jesus leaves. Maybe there's also some wisdom for us to glean from Jesus' example. Sometimes the best thing we can do as parents, teachers, coaches, ministers, elders, leaders, supervisors, executives, is to leave those who are in danger of becoming too dependent on our care, direction, and protection. Now, by leave, I don't mean abandon, but I mean step back, withdraw, and make room for them to learn, grow up, and take responsibility for themselves. Maybe there's a word of wisdom here for overprotective helicopter parents who are troubled by their children's perpetual immaturity. My kids won't grow up. I know, you won't step back and let them grow up. Maybe there's a word of wisdom here for micromanaging supervisors who lament their direct reports inability to solve their own problems. They, they won't think for themselves because you won't let them think for themselves. Certainly, there's a word of wisdom here for those of us who play a role in the growth and formation of others into Christ-likeness. There is a time to leave, to withdraw, to step back, to make room for the Spirit to do in others what we can never do for them ourselves. After Jesus is raised from the dead, and before he ascends to the Father, he appears to his disciples in John 20. This is what he says in verse 21 and 22. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Would you stand for the benediction? May the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, breathe new life into you, and fill you with peace, comfort, courage, truth, and wisdom as Christ sends you on your mission. And may the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, convict and convince and breathe new life into those with whom you will share the good news of Jesus Christ this week. And may the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, empower us to do even greater things while our risen, ascended Lord is away. Go in peace.
Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.